The Aspire podcast series has been developed by Sheffield Callum University Aspire Scholars as a resource to support students on their career development journey. The Aspire programme is dedicated to eradicating structural racism in higher education, working collaboratively with institutions to implement policy changes that promote diversity and combat bias. By amplifying the voice of black scholars, the programme aims to enrich the academic community with diverse perspectives and in doing so, strengthen the foundation of knowledge for generations to come. Aspire is more than a programme, it is a catalyst for change, a path to excellence and a promise of a more inclusive tomorrow. Hi everyone, today I'm joined by Adonike Abidoye. Have I pronounced that correctly? Absolutely, thank you Tony. Well welcome, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Good and great to have you. Let's start by um, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I studied um, accounting and finance back in my home country, Nigeria. Uh, some good years back, I, um, that's more than, I think I started 1991. Yeah, and um, yeah, so my background has been accounting and finance. I graduated, but what I did in studying was after two years of uh, my degree, I decided to enroll for the uh, professional accounting uh, um, program at the same time. So I was running concurrently my undergraduate study with the professional study to become a chartered accountant. Um, That was my first baptism into (laughs) real uh, academic rigor in that I had to be there for the undergraduate 100% and be there for the professional 100%. So rather than have about eight hours of study on a daily basis, you know, between lectures and all that, I typically would have like 12 hours. So that took a lot out of me, but I must say it was the best study time of my life because I learned to merge, you know, um, two aspects of my profession together to achieve the same thing within the same time frame. So rather than spend an additional three years post uh, uh, my first degree, right, getting my professional certification done, I did both at the same time, completing both in the same year. I think with one paper to do the following year. So I completed that. That means at the same time I was graduating as um, an accounting and uh, finance um, from my from the uh, undergraduate accounting and finance, I also had completed my uh, professional exam, qualifying as a chartered accountant about the same time. So that was the first part of it. But going into that, it actually helped me because by the time I started uh, working in back then home in Nigeria, we had to do this compulsory one year. We call it the National Youth Service Corps where we are assigned to any of the states within the country and then open opportunity for either the private sector or the public sector to take us on board like an internship program for one year uh, sponsored by the government and so which the the first thing i did then was to go into banking because one of the prominent banks in nigeria took me on and from the get-go they just wanted me to stay on but i didn't feel that merging to stay within the banking, it was never my um, my area of focus, right? So I think having gone through that, it pretty much prepared me a lot for what I wanted to do. I had, I was clear in the direction I wanted to go. 
Yeah. And that spurred me on from that one year of compulsory service, compulsory internship. It spurred me on to the next level. Then I joined, I went ahead and joined uh, Michelin. I worked with Michelin as their uh, cost accountant then. Back then, I was pretty young, right? I was pretty young. Uh, that was maybe before I was 25 or thereabout. And um, being a professional accountant, you know, fresh out, very hot out of school, professional accountant at the same time, the opportunities were there. And people could see that and they could see the drive, you know, my energy as a then, and the fact that I was so sure what direction, what I wanted. So it, uh, I stayed with Michelin Box for a short period. Uh, I think it was less than a year, actually, because I looked at the environment and I'm like, this is my dream, this is my vision, this is Michelin. Mm, maybe not. So <laughs> it gave me a stepping stone. Unknown to me, they really had a lot in store because I was being flagged from that very onset to take on the role for the Department of Cost Accounting. So they were going to pass on that entire department to me, but they just needed me to work with what, you know, um, there was not much that was said. There was not much that was told me then, but I was like, I can't stay here for long. There's something bigger than this, you know. There's something much more that I want to get to. There's somewhere I want to get to. And being within this environment might be a constraint for me. So I got another opportunity and went on to be um, to the oil and gas industry. And the same thing, I ended up staying with that oil and gas industry for 20 years. That wasn't because the same thing, similar to the banking industry, to the manufacturing industry. I was like, I'll stay here for three years and move on from there. That would give me enough experience. I get to know, you know, being in a um, multinational organization, experience working with different people. I gained from there and oops, I'm up again, I'm leaving. You know, that was the intention. But I realized getting into that environment, there was always one target after the other. There was another position. In six months, I was moved to a different role. In a year after, I was moved to a different role. So it became, you know, there was all that having to do something else, not doing the same thing for too long, right? Not because I'm being moved, not because I wasn't doing right, but because they found out that I could handle much more than they were handing over to me. So there was always that expansion. I do think you can do this, right? And I'm like, okay, bring it on. So that, it was a challenging environment. There was something to look forward to. There was something different to look forward to, at least minimum after every 18 months. So that kept me on. And before I knew what was going on, I moved out of the country, right? I think I spent 10 years in the country under different roles. So from being a consolidation and reporting officer, moving on to be the payroll manager for the entire country, moving on to you know, integrating business systems, uh, business process improvement practices, writing manuals and best practices for the organization within the Nigerian context, becoming you know, the uh, operations controller, business manager for their different business units. It was, it, was, it was intense. It was just what I needed. And um, it developed me a lot in ways I cannot begin to talk about in the few minutes we have to converse here. So that was my journey until I left the country uh, 15 years ago, still with the same company, but then being moved to a different environment. So I've worked in, I've worked in Europe, I've worked in France, I've worked in Congo, 
I've worked in uh, Kenya, I've, I've lived in all these other areas, handling the sub-Saharan African portfolio as internal auditor, compliance manager. So there's been a progression that got me, one, into a multicultural environment, diversity, you know, in working groups, exposure to uh, different regions, culture, uh, languages, uh, level of uh, um, expertise, and working in teams where I could be the only female at times, being out of my own home country, I could also be the only black professional within a team of fathers. So that was my journey until the uh, three years ago when I decided that, okay, uh, so many things happened. Of course, we had the COVID, we had changes, there was a lot of restructuring going on globally, you know, outside the organization, within the organization, and it was just time. And at the right time, I took on the challenge of pressing the reset button by coming to the academic. Studying to put a tag to my years of experience in compliance, internal auditing, and uh, investigations within the organization. So I did a master's in forensic accounting. So that generally like putting a stamp to everything I've done over the last 20 years, more or less. And that was the beginning of a new dawn for me. And right now, being a lecturer of the Sheffield Hallam University has been a fantastic experience because I'm able to put my leverage in on my years of experience, leverage in on my multicultural exposure, right? I'm bringing all of that into the classroom coupled with my exposure now with doing a PhD to the world of research and how that can change everything that we do in practice. Wow, Adonike, what an interesting and varied career you've had. No wonder the Aspire students at Sheffield Hallam nominated you to take part in this podcast. I mean, there's so much to talk about there, but you've clearly had clear career goals throughout that it sounds like you you knew exactly where you wanted to be and where you wanted to go at different points is that right absolutely so the episode today is about I guess embracing the real you and pushing through your comfort zones which you have clearly done so let's talk a bit about that then so you mentioned that in some of the situations you were the only black professional within certain teams how did that make you feel in terms of feeling comfortable or feeling challenged well, if I reflect deeply on that, I will say that I didn't even realize it being within the team. In the first instance, you could sit in a conference room and you would find 10, 15 different nationalities sat together, right? So that demystifies that you know, difference in the first instance. Then you take a lean back and you notice, oops, I'm the only female on this team, right? And then you take another look, oops, even though there is a diversity in the room, right? Oops, my color is the darkest in this room, right? But it never, it, it never was an issue, I won't say, because I knew I was there, right? I knew that. I wasn't being offered a seat, I earned the seat. So it made a lot of difference. 
And depending on the level, depending on my position within that team, I knew what was expected of me. And that came, it didn't come by default. It came by interaction. It came by years of understanding the organization, the organizational culture, right? I knew the context with which I was there. And for time, as that context began to change, I rose up to the challenge of what level I was representing within the team. So there was always something for me to know that this is my table, this is my place, right? And I've earned it. So if I'm the only one, way to go, girl. Absolutely. And it sounds as though you've really embraced all of the opportunities that have come your way and that you have created for yourself. What was your driver for that from both early on in your career up to now? Kind of what drives you to kind of keep get you to keep pushing? I could talk about that in different ways, but my main driver was being the best that I could be under every situation and every circumstance and knowing that I have something to offer. That's always been it. I have something to offer, right? There is no task or no responsibility or no role for that matter that was to be. And I give you an example. Most of the roles that I took on board were new roles. For instance, in six months going into the oil and gas industry, my next role was to be the payroll manager. Prior to that time, they didn't have payroll or payroll manager because payroll was entrenched within the HR function. So it was the first time getting it out from HR into the finance team. So I was a pioneer HR manager for the country, right? So for that, it was more it was a matter of what do I need to do? If this amount of trust had been entrusted to me, you know, then what do I do? One, not to meet the expectation of those that have put it down, but to exceed my own expectation. So I always found that my own expectation of myself was higher. I had more for me to achieve than whatever KPIs they could put, bring on board. So that was my main driver. How else, what else can I put on the table besides what is expected, right? To fulfill my own inner drive, which is always to be that person, that point of reference for anyone so that I can set a new target, not necessarily for myself, but for those coming behind. So behind every action of mine, there was that thing about succession. I believe so much in succession. What am I leaving behind? Who's coming up next? How who can I pass it on to? Right? So that was always that as a driver for me. And knowing also that I had people that trusted my capabilities. And it's so, so sorry. Yes. You it's so going. refreshing to hear um, the confidence, and rightly so, that you have in yourself and in your abilities. Did you ever or have you ever kind of had any feelings of self-doubt? You know, have you ever had imposter syndrome that has kind of come to mind? Or have you always felt positive about your direction of travel? I would say yes. I would say yes, because, you know, there's a difference when you're out there and you're delivering and when you're by yourself, right? So sometimes before I step out, there's always that thing of, can you do this? Are you sure you've covered everything? Right? What would they think? This is a new country. Right, this I'm, I'm I'm being the controller in a new country. How did I get here? <laughs> Sometimes, right? And I'm not sure I can handle, you know, this new assignment. 
what, what would my manager think of me? Because I'm coming from a different background. My, my, my manager might be coming from the Far East. I'm coming from Africa. So I might show that I can work that dynamic. So sometimes you could sit back and look at that. But one thing that I said that I always realized was that reinforcing to myself, knowing that there's always something that I wouldn't have gotten here. I didn't get here out of favors. I wouldn't have gotten here because of uh, probably a diversity uh, uh, KPI, for instance, right? It is not because of that. And if it is, I'm going to work it. <laughs> I'm making my own. So there was always that. I don't, perhaps maybe, because going with all of this was the realization. I always knew, I know myself to the point that I am more introverted than anyone could ever think of me. So that means that for each of those roles, it took me stepping out and taking over the role, despite the fact that I would rather sit back and do my thing and let the results typically announce me. But then, even though that was still what I did, but it was it was a stretch for me to be that number one person, to be that go-to person, you know, and all that. So there was a lot of personality, you know, blending, right? Stepping away from my dominant personality traits because being an introvert and wearing the hat of a controller when I needed to, wearing the hat of the number one person when I needed to, but at the end of each day, I always went back to myself. In the privacy of that office, in the, going back home at the end of the day, I could always connect back to myself. And I think that was very key for me to get a balance. Do you feel that you are authentically you all the time at work? Do you think that the people that you work with know you fully? I would say yes. But I would also add that that me might mean a different thing depending on who my audience is. So like I said, being here in this office right now, I'm all alone. I am that me that just wants to chill, do stuff, organize things, arrange things, think critically, reflect on what I've done. But when I do have to go out there, for instance, now being a lecturer, right? I could be in the classroom and I could be the chattiest person on the face of the earth because that's what it takes for me to engage in the classroom. And the moment I step out of that role, I get into my own corner, then I'm that calm. So you could see me in the classroom, you could be there in the classroom with me and you see that, okay, I'm very like, you know, outgoing, speaking, talking, engaging, laughing, and the rest of it. And the moment that class, <laughs> that, that seminar, that lecture concludes, you step out and you can see me sitting at the corner, just sitting. Right, just observing, not saying a word. So I believe that those people that know me, they will see that and see that I am, I am, how can I put it? That person that can attend to whatever the situation is, has to get out of the situation at the end of it and still be myself. So I am myself in that situation because that's what the situation calls for. But at the end of the day, I'm still myself outside that situation because that is still me. I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, we've got lots of listeners who I suspect will be very early on in their educational career and their professional career um, who may feel that they're either in working environments or study environments where they don't feel comfortable in kind of being their authentic self. So what advice would you give to them? 
I would say first and foremost is to take a step back and think, who, who am I really? You need to be that self-aware. You need to know yourself enough before you can offer anything to anybody. So who am I is a critical question that I believe every individual from a young age should be able to answer. It doesn't mean that you have the answers to it the moment you ask, but then it gets you thinking. It gets you, you know, reviewing yourself, your actions and the motivations behind your actions. When you understand the motivation behind your actions, then you're able to look at yourself. Does this reflect me? Does this, is this, am I doing this because of social pressure? Am I doing this because uh, I'll throw the odd one out in the situation if I don't, right? You need to be real enough to recognize, identify who you are. And that's the only way that I believe that you can actually stop yourself short when decisions are being taken, when you have to step back and take a decision, then you know why, what is motivating this, my inclination towards this action, my inclination towards this decision. Why do I feel that I have to belong in this group or why, why not? And why am I confident to say no, right? Why am I confident to say no? Or why am I bringing my, you know, whatever it is, you need to have that self-awareness and be ready to stand up whatever the situation is, right? And that goes to say, I could give you tons of examples where, you know, typically everyone would know that, no, Adenika is not going to say yes to this. Adenika is not going to do this. Uh, Adenika would not, whatever it is in whatever sphere, including how you relate to social media, including, you know, different things, uh, community volunteering, what, what, what are those areas that you'd rather go to, which would tell about your comfort zone, but then what would be a stretch for you to go into, which will show that how are you able to adopt yourself or adapt yourself in a certain situation that brings up another side of you that probably you know that it took something out of you to do it. You mentioned self-awareness there um, a couple of times. How important is it to be self-aware to enable us to move through our comfort zone? So do you have to be self-aware to push through a comfort zone? Do the two come hand in hand or do you think they're different? I, I think there is, they interact, they interact. Because knowing that my comfort is within, you know, staying at home, or being in the background, right? Me stepping out of there means that I realize that the situation calls for me to go above and beyond that zone, right? So, but I am aware enough to recognize that I would rather stay here, but my services, my expertise, my skill set is needed in this other area for now. And I look around, I'm like, I'm the right person to do this, or I'm called up to do it. Sometimes we really do not know, sometimes sometimes we don't know how much capacity we have. But people that look at us can, can actually pick signs of those things. So when you get other people telling you certain things, that, oh, I think you can do this, it's enough for us to introspect and find out, okay, do I know this about myself? If I'm being called up to do this, what has this man or this lady or this other colleague or this line manager, what have they seen in me that makes them believe that I can handle this? Like that gives you the opportunity to reflect on, I would rather do this particular thing, but if one, two, three persons 
are beginning to call on me for this, then there must be something that they have seen in me. Am I strong enough to dig into myself, either agreeing or disagreeing with what, you know, that perspective of me that they have seen? And if so, am I strong enough to embrace it, either to develop it or to release it? Something like that. And, and part of, I think, accepting who we are and pushing through our comfort zones is being able to celebrate our successes, which is something that actually is quite difficult to do. So I'm just mindful of time. But before we wrap, wrap up, um, Adonike, what advice would you give to our listeners who struggle to celebrate their successes? Maybe I'm guilty of that myself, because um, celebration or celebrating our successes, I would say, will depend on who you are. That goes back to self-aware, right? So what you will call celebration may not be my idea of celebration. The question is, how do I celebrate me, right? So if I realize, if I know myself enough to the point where I realize how I celebrate me, then I would, I understand what it means for me to celebrate. Um, what example can I give for this? Maybe if I take the example of birthdays, right? Some people would like to celebrate birthdays vivaciously, right? So you want to go out, you want to, everybody want to know, blah, 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 which is a good thing. But my idea of celebration is doing something for me, in which case I'm like, you know what? It's my birthday. I'm going to see a movie, right? I would rather stay away from the glamour of celebrating a birthday and have something, you know, calm, chilled, but it doesn't mean that I didn't celebrate me. So that takes me back. How do you celebrate? Are you aware of yourself enough to know what it means for you to celebrate you? Or are you dependent on what other people categorize as celebration and then you follow them in doing that, but then you don't feel the fulfillment of knowing that my accomplishment has been registered within my own subconscious and I've accepted it, absorbed it, and I'm feeling good about it. Adonika, you're so inspirational. Thank you so much for joining us on the Aspire podcast. You've got such an interesting and insightful and inspirational um, journey that you've been on. So we really do appreciate you being a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Sheffield Hallam University is one of UK's largest and most diverse universities with a community of around 37,000 students. The university's mission is simple, they transform lives. Sheffield Hallam is an award-winning university, recently receiving gold in the Teaching Excellence Framework for Outstanding Support for Student Access and Progression. Individuals from all backgrounds are provided with the opportunity to acquire skills, knowledge and experience to succeed at whatever they choose to do. Thank you.